0: Hysteria the well. by Dario Argento is a shot, primal scene. When you see it. <laughs>
1: The, the ways for the ether fuzz roll on forever Roar! This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash And with me as always is my co-host It's Hank and Hank, are you food or are you sex?
2: I am red plum. I think I'm food.
1: <laughs> a plum.
2: I'm, I'm plump and pleasant and somewhat sweet and healthy. Um, <laughs> I'm going to light a cigarette now. I didn't light mine before <laughs> the show. <so. laughs> and healthy. Mm-hmm. Smoke it I up. I don't know. Smoke it up. I think personally I'm sex.
1: No. No. What do you think? Uh, I'm not gonna, I can't, I can't go with the sex thing for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, uh, buddy.
2: You know, I there's worse ways to die. It's okay.
1: Fine. You're Jell O.
2: Ooh, there's always room for Jell O. I'm fine with that. <laughs> can't have enough Hank. Welcome to Death by DVD. That was good. That was one of those unwritten bits. I like when that happens. We can just cut and fucking call it a night.
1: Yeah, a uh, three minute show. So, are we doing Recently Seen? Uh, We can do that. I went first last time, I think,
2: with a Lorenzo Lamas movie.
1: Uh, I don't, like, really have that much to talk about. I mean, I could get it more in-depth about it, but I just don't feel the need to. But I watched The Boys on Amazon, a TV series based on Garth Ennis comic book, about, like, a rogue band of people who work for the CIA that keep superheroes in check because they're unruly asshole god-like figures uh it's a pretty good show i enjoyed it i think it's actually worth a watch i don't want to spoil anything but it's basically what if the justice league were a bunch of power hungry assholes and then you have a bunch of dudes who like you know try to take them down that's generally it it's a good show though i enjoyed it
2: I've seen a few trailers for it watching things on Amazon recently, and it does look pretty funny and like a lot of thinly veiled jokes to toward comic book movies well, and uh, politics in general.
1: They added a lot of humor in the trailers. I mean, that's all in the show, don't get me wrong, but it's not, the, I mean, it's a funny show, but it's very dark at times. It gets super dark. And the main star of it, besides Carl Urban, is Dennis Quaid's son. Who I'm... Did Dennis Quaid fuck Rain Wilson? Because that's what he looks like. He looks like a mix between Rain Wilson and Dennis Quaid. So I don't know fucking kid. if those two could specifically have children uh, if they had sex, but... We're working on it. Yeah,
2: science is getting to it. I, outside of tonight's Subjects Matter, watched, like, one fucking movie this week, and it's called Insignificance from 1985 by Nicholas Rogue, and it's the only movie to star Gary Busey and Tony Curtis... Tony Curtis says the N-word, like five minutes into the movie, uh, stops Albert Einstein from getting a blowjob. It's not Albert Einstein. It's not anybody specifically. But the whole premise of the movie is in the 1950s. A German scientist ends up meeting with a famous actress and her baseball player husband and a certain senator that is very against communists and is trying to really blackball some people and get them in trouble. And it's all a conversation that happens in this German scientist's hotel room the night before he meets with the peace committee to talk about world peace because he apparently helped create the atomic bomb. It's a pretty cool movie. It's by Nicholas Rogue, so it's ultra stylistic. Uh, Nicholas Rogue did Walkabout, Perfection with Mick Jagger. Can't think of the name of the movie he did with Art Garfunkel and... Bad Lieutenant Harvey Keitel, but that is a just that's, I think, a pinnacle of his career. He's just a great editor, really stylistic guy. It's not a horror movie. You can check it out if you want to pay like 30 bucks for the criterion because I think it's the only place you can get it. But Nicholas Rogue, very niche. Very,
1: very niche. That yeah. sounds <laughs> fucking bananas.
2: Yeah, it's a uh, pretty good. They never mentioned anybody by name, but it's obviously Einstein, Monroe, uh, Senator McCarthy. And it's pretty cool. I mean, it's just what if all these people had a conversation? Marilyn Monroe explains the theory of relativity with toys and uh, puts on this really big display about how motion is and how everything is nothing. It's pretty cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're into that, you know? Is it is it Hank fun?
2: Uh, it's not even really fun. It's it's somewhat depressing, largely because you just realize all these people, no matter what, who they are, actors. Fictional characters even have, to an extent, hopes and dreams, and I don't know. Everybody's kind of gets lost in the big picture and the you know big spectrum of things. Nothing really matters. It's depressing. Nothing matters. Well, no, that's not true. Um, beauty the matters. The show matters. The show matters. I was segueing Beauty matters.
1: Beauty's oh, actually shit. the only thing that matters interesting quote to start it off with actually um we'll, we'll so... also find
2: out later in the show that i'm a shallow fuck and i just like things because they're pretty and <laughs> beauty really
1: is the only thing for me when it comes to judging and we'll, we'll get deep into that in a little while <laughs> well at least that we you can admit to your shortcomings as a human being yeah i'm honest <laughs> All right, so the premise of this show is it's not something that's completely beyond the, the realm of anyone else coming up with. It's not a, a unique idea, but it, is a, it was a unique idea to me personally. I, I didn't even know anybody had uh, kind of strummed these two movies together, except when I just thought of it one day. But it's not that hard of a concept to come up with. But what I am proposing is that the film Neon Demon by Nicholas Winding Refn is a true remake of Dario Argento's 1977 movie Suspiria. Because there is a remake that came out last year of Suspiria. And it does not encompass the things that make Suspiria Suspiria as well as the film Neon Demon does, which is completely, completely different plot. Not so much. It, it, like You can look at it on the surface and say it's a completely different plot, but I think they're incredibly similar. And I also need to preface all of this with the whole thing of, I will talk a lot of shit about the Superior remake. I think it's problematic. I think it has some issues. But overall, I did like the film. It made my top ten last year, I'd say, for best movies. But at the same time, all these problematic things... As itself, as a film, it's a pretty decent film. But as a Suspiria remake, it's just super, super lacking. It's hard for me to tie the two together. I, I don't even see how they're pretty, like, even that similar, other than, like, a few plot details and some of the same character names, things like that. But I think Neon Demon is a way closer remake to Argento's original film, Suspiria.
2: Yeah, I'll have some spicy things to say about the remake. My biggest issue is just calling it Suspiria. The director even suggests it's more of a tribute To the original Argento, uh, and it's Dario Argento and Dario Nicolati's original source materials what's credited in the opening credits, so it's suggested that this is a tribute. I wish it would have been billed that way. If it's a tribute... tribute, please. Yeah, you know, if it was a tribute, then it wasn't necessary to call it Suspiria, and honestly, outside of the three mothers being mentioned, you could have called this German dance witches, and it would have just been a nice nod to Suspiria. It could have been called fucking anything else, because what it certainly isn't, the Suspiria. And that's my like big problem with it. And I didn't just watch it once and pass it off because I didn't like it. I, you know, I really gave it a try, watched it twice, and
1: it's just not Suspiria. There's, well, like you said, a lot of problems. Even, I liked it a little bit more than I did in the first viewing. I got a new appreciation for a lot of the film on the second viewing, but still on that second viewing, it didn't make me go scream, oh, that's this is just like an Argento film. Or, and I know that is not wholly the point of remakes but when you are told they're remaking Suspiria here's what we're going to do with it and you get the remake that they gave you it's just like really that's what you could do with one of the cornerstones of a film genre something that changed film forever you made this super drab kind of long political horror movie quotes I don't know, it's got some metaphysical concepts in it, but, I mean, the horror is is rarely there. It's more of a real-life horror, and I think that's one of the big differences in the remake and the original, and even Neon Demon and the original, that Neon Demon and the original Suspiria lends more towards an idea of magic and the magic that is within celluloid. Well, there's something...
2: Sort of simple about A dance school run by witches Like that there's not I'm not asking for much And that's what really annoys me here is I didn't even Ask for this I don't think anybody was You know standing with a fucking picket sign Saying I I would love the Suspiria remake When's that coming out Suspiria remake Suspiria remake it wasn't a Deeply asked for thing and we still Got it
1: and it's still like no thank you Thank you but No thank you to give it a rating I would give It a four out of five personally
2: I'm a and little bit lower. I give it a three just because I, I felt it It was almost obnoxious to an extent. It, it just almost offended me n- knowing that this is Suspiria. And there are so many points to that outside of, you know, oh, I'm a gatekeeper. I really love Suspiria. Let's get that out of the way. I'm not even a massive Argento fan. I'm I'm. Definitely not a hardcore giallo guy I love Italian film I love Italian horror Let's say it that way I don't want to get mixed up With Fellini here I love the Italians I love Argento He's not one of my Even top five guys though So my defense of this movie Is specifically on one, how it affected me as a youth. And two, the impact culturally it has on film. Like you mentioned and noted that Suspiria really did change direction and editing, certainly. I mean, it, and then the God, the Goblin soundtrack, that massive introduction to Prague rock uh, into the United States, because that really wasn't a huge thing. And then you got like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and that started to really meld in with the Argento sound in his next few movies. And it just it skyrocketed a whole new sound on top of a style of directing and editing
1: yeah and we'll be back and forth on several different movies i'll try to indicate when we are and it'll probably be a lot of random direct comparisons that i'm trying to make between all three films um, well, there's an unfortunate you know the one we haven't brought up
2: too is that there is Accusations that Black Swan is a
1: more appropriate remake to Suspiria, I just and I buy it. I just can't. It just doesn't make any sense to me.
2: I feel it's incredibly skin deep, and it's specifically because they're both
1: uh, horror change? thrillers, and both movies are about change. Oh, well, they're dancers. I, I don't know. That's all I can. I, I've watched Dance and change. There you go. There's your similarities right there. I,
2: I've watched them both, and one is a supernatural film, and I I feel specifically Neon Demon is, is a supernatural film, and that it ties and with Suspiria on that level.
1: Yeah, and I think Neon Demon is a vaguely like supernatural film. It's not so overt in your face, but it's there. The overtones are there. And let's just like look, start at the beginning of all of these films. The original Suspiria, with the exception of some really poorly done narration at the beginning that is just trying to explain some exposition bullshit, it really starts out with color, lighting, a bombastic soundtrack, a lot of intrigue and violence when you get to the first murder in Suspiria. It doesn't even take that long in Neon Demon because it starts with an amazingly pretty shot, expertly lit, um, a lighting design, and it starts with violence. It starts with her on this couch, covered in blood, looking like her throat is slit. That's not what it appears to be, and it's an illusion, but it starts with a violent nature, and the original Suspiria starts with the first initial murder, which is incredibly violent, and the soundtrack does not let up. It really – it grades on your nerves, so the soundtrack that's just these drums just
2: playing. and I don't these- know what's worse. I mean, because you have the arm and, – and here's a question that's a little bit random. What, do you feel that that arm is like a werewolf? What is that? Why is it so
1: hairy? It's got claws. I it's mean, it's like a fucking magical werewolf arm. It doesn't matter. It's well, like it's, an I, I just, character. it's, just, are, it's, a, it's a, a harbinger for like the of evil. That's all it really is.
2: That was just one of my grumps finishing the remake, walking away. You know, No, wasn't even a werewolf arm. And then it hit me. Why do I call it a werewolf arm? So I wanted to check with somebody else that had seen the movie. Uh, you it's know, nothing. did you? Yeah, it's just a hairy arm, but that's it. It starts really majorly there, then you get the drumming of the soundtrack following through, and I don't know which is worse. I mean, you have that goblin score that's not stopping, and then you finally get to the
1: the heart sequence where they're stabbing the open heart and she falls. It doesn't something. let up. It does not let up. And Neon Demon really doesn't let up in the first you know five to ten minutes, with its blaring techno score, its attention to making violence look beautiful and the we'll get into the violence and the beauty here and a little bit shortly there's gonna be so much more talk about that but the remake of suspiria starts with exposition some sappy ass tom york terrible piano music i'm so disappointed and, and it just it it drags it's this exposition dump right at the beginning And that's, I think, the heart of the remake of Suspiria. It ends up being an exposition dump the entire movie. It never really gets itself out of gear. And a lot of that has to do with the way they constructed the soundtrack, the way it was shot, the tone of the overall film. And that's the major difference between the remake of Suspiria and the original Suspiria and Neon Demon. I surmise that Neon Demon, the original Suspiria, have a same tone, a same kind of feel and vibe to them with you know just different things like the music the lighting the acting things it's like atmospheric that
2: atmospheric, and it's on top of what you're actually watching i mean so you have the, the performance of the actors and visually what Refn was doing throughout the movie obviously is referenced by dario argento that's heavy neons, hence the title neon demon but the movies not just look the same it's something beyond that that that's a given that you can he we all know he's referenced by argento he he talks about it openly so that's not like a secret or something but it's beyond even um symbology there's a lot of triangles There's a of the devil's fork appears in both movies a few times there's a lot of different occult symbols it's not on that level it's just how the movies play out with each other's plot and story intertwining
1: and both suspiria and neon demon focus on magic and then neon demon's not as prevalent throughout the film but it's focusing a lot on the the magic of beauty and how beauty can get you things. And it's almost like being a witch. And when you do the remake of Suspiria or possession or, or possession, there's something like that. Um, When you get to the, um, the remake of Suspiria, we're not as focused on that magical aspect. Even the, the way we shoot it, it's very gritty and real to life that like the magic is in The remake of Suspiria The concept of magic The concept of witchcraft But it's almost incidental It's almost like he doesn't really have An interest in the witchcraft aspect of it And uh, creating a fantasy world It's all set very much in a real Probably one of the toughest times In history world And that is antithetical to something like Suspiria Because Suspiria takes It doesn't take place in any time It's this magical It's almost like Alice in Wonderland A neon demon that same sort of construct that you're basically an Alice in Wonderland character, your protagonist. That's what it is. And like Dakota Johnson in the Superior remake is almost, I wouldn't even call her like an Alice in Wonderland character or anything like that. I would just call her just like a witness to the events. She almost sleepwalks through the entire movie. I know it is part of the concept of that remake, but at the same time, it it's not... Doing the same thing as, say, Neon Demon and Suspiri, we've completely taken this character and done something completely different. She's like I said, she's almost in the background of the entire movie because we're doing exposition dump through the rest of and she's just not part of that expo, uh, you know, of that dump that they're doing.
2: Well, it's just not about witches is the problem, that it's this thinly veiled— It peeled... just has no interest in the witches, I don't think.
1: It has <laughs> interest in the politics of the witches, which I find incidental as far as the story of Suspiria goes.
2: Yeah, it's more of an overtone about fascism or the effects of blindly following people than anything else, and that's even with the lead character, the Jessica Harper character, coming in. I mean, well, Jessica She's Harper's in the movie, but— Yeah, she's an outsider, but that's really the only comparison is that she came from America. They've even changed the backstory to where I'm just confused by the ending, that she comes from a Mennonite family in Ohio, very religious, and everybody's head blows up because she's
1: Suspiria? Uh, uh, What? Well, she's a stranger that, like— in the original Suspiria and Neon Demon, they're both strangers that do not fit in, into this new culture that they're coming into, and she almost immediately blends into the school. She's never treated her like any sort of outsider. She's welcome with open arms in the remake. And it's, well, it's that's kind too. of... And it, it, it's just for our Argento movies, you always have that American outsider-type character. You don't have, immediately take that outsider in and just... It's always an American who can't leave the country...
2: Well, you know, in this situation, they accept her and they bring her forward to emphasize the power struggle within the witches and the whole Mother Marcos and Blanc thing. So it's just, again, showing fascism, the politics of the time, how people were accepted. There, it's not a story about fucking witches at a dance school, unfortunately. Like that's it, it just strays completely off this point. And I like the politics. I understand it. And I think it's
1: a great story. But again, Suspiria is the vehicle for it personally. That's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, even just having the credits of Dario Nicolati and Dario Argento's writers and calling it something differently would have been acceptable. And that's like where my gripe is getting down to is just the title of it. And like, I don't even hate Tom York. I don't hate Radiohead. But what a poor soundtrack.
1: Just soundtrack nothing does not fit with this at all yeah for Suspiria remake it definitely does not fit
2: this would have fit like a Vincent Gallo movie you know it's very moody and and again we're using the word atmospheric a lot but it's the wrong atmosphere it's providing it's like this depressed fucking virgin suicide soundtrack and we needed something it didn't have to be like Goblin but it had to be something that drives the movie because that is essential
1: with like the techno and neo-demon yeah, exactly. The techno the... drives that movie. That soundtrack is a major part of that film, and so is the soundtrack in Suspiria. And the soundtrack is again, it's almost incidental. It's almost like um, they found music to stick in it. I like Radiohead. Let's put some Radiohead music in this. It's
2: well, with acidity. Neon Demon, you get sort of the first aspects of mysticism or cultism or occultism when the music really starts driving forward. You have the are you food or are you sex scene? Where it ends sort of poorly, and they go out to this uh, rope show that's being displayed. And I think it was Reffin's brother that did the soundtrack. Uh, Julian Reffin, I think, or Julian Winding Reffin, maybe doesn't matter. And they're doing this just bizarre triangle-based rope show, and it's like it. it kind of taps in heavily to Argento with with the light and the, the red and the flashing going back and forth, and that takes you back to toward the end of Suspiria, the 1977 movie, with the red room and the blue room and the green room. But it changes the tone of the movie and lets you see that they're all being transformed in this moment by beauty, that they are pretty much under the spell of Beauty, And that's the vehicle of some
1: sort of magic, actually.
2: Yeah. And it's and it's almost the romance of how enchanting beauty is. And there's another part in the film where it's stated to the L fanning character. How does it feel to, you know, it be like a cold day and your sunshine? And she goes, it's everything. And at that moment, you realize she first began to feel this and, you know, become under the spell of the demon, which the demon is fashion, love, uh, what there's so many different ways you could think about it consumerism capitalism whatever but the demon is more of a metaphorical reference to her falling into this vain sense of i am god i am you know no one i am god whatever it's an exorcist reference but that's
1: where the mysticism starts to lead in and in that nightclub scene it's almost even up to a time code It's not exact or anything. I didn't, like, draw a comparison exact to the time code, but it almost mirrors the death, the first murder in Suspiria, around the same time frame in the two films to where we need some transformative moment. But what's happening? This film. You have well, there's almost violence in that scene in Neon Demon in a way.
2: Well, you have in Suspiria someone dangling, falling from a triangle base shaped, and then you have this uh, S&M rope play. It's, it's a Japanese type of rope play, and I forgot what it was called. Key. Ooh, ooh, something like yeah. that. <laughs> I can't remember. So we we're on the right path, but it's somebody dangling, falling from a triangle shape. So even in itself there, the scenes are mirroring each other. It's just not... A display of graphic death It's a display of change Or the character shedding its first skin in the first act And becoming, transitioning to something new Because by the the last act of the film Compared to the first act The Elle Fanning character is obviously drastically changed And the Jessica Harper character I, I wouldn't say she has a massive character change I don't think those two things are transitionary Between the movie But I don't think that's what drives either vehicle either
1: No, uh, um... But, like, if you go to the remake of Suspiria, by this time frame, we are still doing exposition dump. We're just now getting Susie O'Bannon really kind of to the school and her lodgings and all this stuff. We don't get anything that's even remotely considered, like, violence or horror till like, 30 minutes in, maybe? 35? I don't remember exactly when that... Like, I don't have...
2: I don't have a complaint with that. Like, I, I love violence and I love gore and I don't dislike the Suspiri remake because of the lack of it. It's just, again, something that is massively missing that you're trying to convey the story and you're doing it there. And Argento said this himself. If you're going to remake a movie, you either remake it the exact same way, which is copying it and pointless or you completely change it, which at that point, you should just call it something different. So I'm like just struggling between that because it drives so differently. By the time you have the Olga death sequence, it's just become the... Well, she didn't even die. By the time you have the Olga contortion sequence, which is wonderfully shot, it looks great. There was very little CGI. The actress was actually a contortionist, as so she did all that. That's hip. I, I like it. I have no problems with the direction or the style or, or what's happening. It's just absolutely... Pointless. It's like, what's going on? You're telling me this story about West German politics, and all of a sudden, she's dancing. There's somebody scratching at the floor, and this chick's all willy-nilly, but breaking up. I don't know. What's you tell me? You're the director, so I, I find just a lack of completion. That's really it,
1: well, it. Just it takes away from the experience completely. When you get to that Olga scene in the remake, like with Argento in Suspiria, Argento is the art of the murder. He finds beauty in the perverse of murder, and Neon Demon does the exact same thing. And the remake of Suspiria, it's it's sloppy with its violence. And I'm not saying it's not effective violence, but it's less concerned with like the violence and like the, the art of it and how pretty it can kind of be and how emotional it can be. And it's really just there to almost repulse you. And it's meant to be a violent act to kind of push the audience away and not bring them in. It's almost, it's very different. It's almost
2: violence for the sake of violence, and especially when you get to this big ending, which is funny. act
1: of violence,
2: really, more than anything. Well, I mean, I, you read articles, and you, you skim over articles, rather, about this, and people talk about how insane the ending is, and I don't know, I'm a dullard, but I, I just didn't get it, and it wasn't impressive to me. Everyone's head blew up like a Johnny the Homicidal Maniac comic, like, I, I, and it wasn't even, like— that it's CGI and they didn't use real blood. It just, again, it was pointless. And really for me, like, okay, we have to do something here. So let's just blow some heads up. Let's make it shocking.
1: Well, the ending of the remake, it does go to the grand grand, grand guignol level. Fucking spoilers, violence. by the way. And yeah, we're, it's all spoiled. Fuck that. Um, it goes in this way. And to make that effective, he really could have, but he had very few rats yeah. in the scene. He like, it was all, very, well,
2: the movie lacks primary colors completely, which is. Well, just when you
1: get to that scene. Opposite. Wouldn't it been more effective if they were holding that ritual in a very stark white room? So when the violence happens, the violence is explosive, and you finally get this splash of color into a movie that's been severely lacking in the entire time. And you really make transformative violence. You could, really, you could have gone in that direction. But he even did this weird effect to where it's in this herky-jerky, Friday the 13th slow motion, and the violence is so blurred, it's not even in your face. It's more just the idea of the violence, and that is completely anti-what of Argento is about. Argento is about putting the violence in your face, making you really find the beauty in the violence, almost. I don't know it's a hard thing to explain, but Argento fans understand it, how beautiful murder can be. And this is just kind of like... Here's your big explosive scene. I don't want to, like, scar you with it. So here's, you know, it's it's very still, very drab and blah, blah, blah. And we want to make it almost... <sighs> it's the scene where Dakota Johnson finally kills the girls that she loves. And she's, like, calling them beautiful because they all wish for a, like, a, a quick death and to release all of their pain. And... That's the only scene of real beauty in that whole murder scene and I think that's the direction he was going and he's not going in such as vibrant, almost perverse um, exploitation of violence and that's really what I look for in something like an Argento film and I think Neon Demon contains that more so than any of these films at the end where when we finally get to the absolute violence of it, it's just kind of It's transformative and beautiful.
2: Well, there's a hopelessness to the graphic display of violence that Dario Argento had to offer. And it's like taking something like Deep Red and remaking it about a romantic getaway where an American is stuck in Italy and witnesses a murder. Like, it's just there's no point to doing something like that. So with the subject matter at hand and the story you're trying to convey, for one, fear is the most important emotion that you're dealing with, that you have the romanticism or uh, fetishism of violence, this this beautiful display, almost pornographic with penetration. Like that's a big thing with Argento. You always have stabbings. It's just this big male penetration sort of thing. And there's a, a romance to it almost, and it is disturbing, but that's part of the attraction to it. When you completely blank that out and give you, uh, for all intents and purposes, a bland product, it's not really helpful. I mean, I find myself lost throughout the entirety of the movie. Like, okay, so does she become Mother Suspiria through the dance method? Or, you know, where? what is this driving to? And then you finally get this ending plot, and she goes and she blanks the doctor's memory as if this is some helpful nice thing at the end of his life and then it just ends and i'm just lost wondering what the whole point was you know running an hour longer than the well, original he didn't movie need to
1: suffer anymore because he'd suffered and the only people who need to suffer are the people who corrupt power and they are ones they're the ones who need to feel the shame and you know and not hold on to these Horrible memories that they drag with them Because the people who never feel guilt Are the ones who really should feel guilt It's that kind of thing Again, more of a
2: Thing about fascism, it's more of a political Melodrama, it's not a yeah, well, Italian horror movie
1: They focus so much on Udo Kier's character Who has like a three minute scene In the original We We make him like the main character of the film And that's the story we ultimately are telling Is his experience through World War II, losing his wife to a concentration camp, and seeing how violence and power corrupt people. And then at the end, this ultimately feminine character comes over and really kind of punishes the people who need to be punished, blah, blah, blah. So... Where I'm, what I'm saying is, the original Suspiria and Neon Demon are distinctly feminine stories, and and the remakes focuses so much on this old man's experience with his problems, even though it's Tilda Swinton playing him and this whole other thing, whatever. Yeah, but as it, a Tilda Swinton vehicle, the Suspiria remake is great. Like, it's,
2: there's no. I, yeah, she's always fantastic, and in these dual roles, it's fantastic. Like, I, it's I, pointless, I
1: just, though, that yeah, she plays three roles. She plays I, three fucking roles in that movie. What's the third role? She plays um, Marcos in all the makeup. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense.
2: Also, so you know, talking about pointless things, there's the scene where they revote Marcos or Blanc, and one of the mothers or one of the witches just kills herself at the dinner table, and they, Why? What's up with that? Is it because, because she knew?
1: Well, she was seeing how because she knew Marcos was corrupted at that point and had lived under the tyranny of Marcos for so long. and Marcos So it's was like uh... so she just took herself out of the equation because Madame Blanc was never going to win the vote.
2: Essentially that monk that set himself on fire in South Vietnam protesting protest. yeah DM's anti-Buddhism law. So, yeah, that no, that makes sense. It's just, so, you know, when you watch it completely alone and you're bouncing these ideas off your own head, you don't, you know, you got to bring it up on the show. That's what we and do. not only
1: that, she saw um, Susie Bannon come into the school and knew that Marcos was going to be able to get her... Her being inside of her and new Marcos would just continue on and on and on. And at this point, she doesn't want to see anyone else suffer because they've already tried it as several different times and it not working and people suffering again. So she's just it's just protest.
2: Well, it's a, it's a melodrama about suffering and sadness and the changes of time and fighting and fascism and corruption. That's not Suspiria.
1: That's not Suspiria. Suspiria is like a grand, like almost celebration of, Life at times I know that sounds Fucking stupid as shit But that and Neon Demon Both are like that And it's not well, it's just about Their rebirth. stories It's a, It's about It's about All these different concepts And These
2: characters come in At the beginning And by the end They're changed And reborn Into a new flesh You know Susie has this awareness Of the evil of the world And the corruption That can lie within And that she's helped Conquer and fight something And it ends on that Uplifting note As to where Neon Demon has f- Neon Demon
1: Okay it's consumption Literally Yeah, like Neon Demon, the ending, I would say, is where they differ the most. Because at the ending of Neon Demon, it's almost like what if Susie had listened to the witches? That's what would have happened to her ultimately in Suspiria. So it's almost like subverting your expectations of what the ending of Suspiria originally was. Uh, And again, I'm not saying Neon Demon's a direct remake. I'm not saying he had these thoughts in his head, but it's definitely like there's... Echoes and overtones of Suspiria all throughout this film. So Dakota, or not Dakota, L Fanning, um, when she dies at the end of the film and is murdered and consumed by the coven or whatever they are, uh, whatever you want to call it. But I'm going to say that it definitely has occult overtones with Jenna Malone, especially her. Um, you do have the rebirth in that film, though, to where she has a grand minstrel... <laughs> like evacuation towards the end. Yeah, I don't know exactly what they. Well, she's that. gotten her. She's kind of gotten her. Um, it's her the new moon. back.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, everything runs, and there's a big relevancy of the moon and the elf and characters' fascination with it. And of course, you know, not even through mysticism, but almost every culture, there's always a rebirth through the new moon cycle. And then, of course, menstruation. She's being reborn. She consumed her. She has parted with the parts she doesn't need and has, you know, evolved, become something new with the part of Jesse that she consumed. That, And it's it's funny because it's it's a very similar aspect to the remake of Suspiria of acceptance, that Susie's very accepted. Jesse isn't so much. She's almost ridiculed and not, you know, she's not dirty. She's young. She doesn't understand things until she gets the concept that she's God.
1: Yeah, but she's still an outsider throughout the film. She's never accepted. And really, Susie Bannon isn't particularly ever accepted in the original Suspiria. And mostly just due to typical xenophobic ideas. I mean, she makes friends with Sarah and a couple other people. But I mean, look at the look at Neon Demon when um, Christina Hendricks is doing her model interview and is basically telling her to lie on the application and all these different things and always commenting on her beauty and she almost is comparable to the character of Madame Blanc at the beginning of Suspiria during those, that conversation because they're just sitting there calming on her beauty. It's almost of all the beauty that they have lost. And this is the person that I, I will be able to regain um, the thing that I have found so important throughout my my life through this person. And I th- I get those two overtones in the original Suspiria and I get that in but I really don't get that so much, mostly because Marcos is just such a, a background character in the remake. I know she is in the original, but you get that from all these different characters in the original Suspiria, and you don't really get that. Like, Madame Blanc in the remake is almost helpful to Susie. She doesn't view her as, a, she just, she kind of views her as another nice girl that I'm getting in to feed to this, this fucking monster. Well,
2: so. she stands as a radical character, though, because she somewhat opposes what's going on. So she represents the change politically of the time. And at the same time, the movie that's going on, you have the uh, Olympic incidents that happened in Germany. And uh, it was it Jimmy Carter that saved the day there. And that's playing in the background. So you have the same thing going on with the RAF rebels that is happening within the coven that somebody is. Wanting to stand for an upheaval or oppose the leadership, but just can't back any votes until Susie Banyan comes forward. So to me, there might be uh, a conveying that, like, especially during the teaching her the dance scene when she uh, asks, you know, or suggests we do it differently. She actually brings forward like the spirit of Mother Suspiria and. Uh, Blanc knows the whole time and knows that it's kind of subterfuge and a camouflaged way to get back at Mother Marco's and to set forth, you know, a new Aeon somewhat. Might be thinking about it too deep, but hey, that's a thought. <laughs> that's the whole
1: point of this fucking episode. Yeah, okay. it's, it's just a thought. And Neon Demon and the original Suspiria both share the um, ineffective male companion who just is there, I like, trying to help the uh, female protagonist along, but is ultimately just nothing. He's just this kind oh, of thing. and
2: He's even and, driven more apt in Neon Demon during my my favorite scene in the entire movie, the diner scene. the The only thing that matters is beauty scene where the fashion director says, if she wasn't beautiful, would you even have stopped to look at her? And he turns and looks at her, and it's a realization that, no, beauty is the only thing. That is what we judge absolutely everything on, even down to the original Suspiria versus the remake and the lack of prime colors. Beauty, <laughs> beauty and I, this is where I said I'd get shallow. Beauty really is the only thing, and when you're making a film, it's like painting. There are a different aspects. You just don't slap something together. If you were going to do that, you make a commercial for TV. You do something different, but making a film is like painting, and you layer things to enhance the visual concept. You should be able to watch a movie and not judge it by its story specifically because of how it's
1: made, not well, vice versa. I, I will agree with you in some instances there. I think beauty is important, but I don't think beauty is absolutely everything with filmmaking because I think there's an interesting story that they're telling as a spirit, and I think they gave the backdrop, of the way they filmed it. Um, to lend itself more to this political story as opposed to being a beautiful film, which is what Neon Neiman and the original Suspiria are. Oh, In its own right, film. it's it's shot well. It's the, they're I, equally I, what, they're equally important, but it's just you're remaking fucking Suspiria. What is this drab shit? Why are you making it so gray? It's almost edgy to me,
2: you know, like I'm going to remake Suspiria and take out all the fucking primary colors. Like, yeah, look at me. I'm doing something different. And I know that might not be the way it is and it sounds mean-spirited, but that's just how I'm left feeling. Like, okay, what was the point of that? Neon Demon's explosive use of colors helps convey especially uh, the lack of characters' emotions. One of my favorite characters, Keanu Reeves, Hank, all those scenes are very dimly and grungy and shitty, and it looks like David Fincher all of a sudden. Like, the movie completely tone changes because that represents this awful character's tone, this grimy, nasty guy that's trying to pawn off 13-year-old runaways for people to fuck. Does it, he says something disgusting, like some real Lolita shit, like, you've never hated Keanu Reeves before you saw Neon Demon, but wow, what a detestable character, Hank. <laughs>
1: Well, OK, like in Neon Demon, you had that scene with the, the mountain lion being in her room. <laughs> and that's her first real experience with predators in this in the film. And she and I kind of took that,
2: too, as possibly like. This might sound dumb, but her spirit animal, a representation of how she is going to be by the end of the movie, because she has that whole monologue of my mom said I was dangerous and I am. And, you know, a representation of something fierce coming into her life is. And again, just another perspective of looking at it.
1: Yeah, I, I more view it as being this is it's a predator. Keanu Reeves, who's introduced next after this, he's a predator. Um, the chick who owns the modeling agency. Oh, Christina Hendricks,
2: yeah, I was going to say she's a Predator. Uh, every And then her massive encounter with Ruby, the Jenna Malone character. You don't feel the Predator. Well, there's even a the, the senseless, not senseless, there's a timeless line because it's the only place in the movie where they actually show a bit of technology where uh, Elle Fanning gives Ruby her phone and Ruby takes it, and it's a very outdated old iPhone and she says to her, you just need to know some safe girls or some good girls. It's good to have good girls or something like that. And then her following introduction scene is going to the mysterious house-sitting place after Keanu Reeves in an odd rape-knife torture scene. Uh, it, it all spirals out of control completely there. So essentially that's like when Susie meets the uh, Udo Kier character, and he explains Marcos and the whole idea of witchcraft, and she talks to the older German doctor, and then it segues into the insanity of the ending and, and everyone pretty much dying, and Suspiria just going batshit.
1: Well, okay. Like, um, you have all these different predators being introduced in her life in Neon Demon, and I get kind of the same thing from Argento Suspiria, because almost everyone around her, with the exception of a few girls, um... Like, Sarah, oh, I'm not a predator. And Sarah turns out not to be a predator. But Neon Demon, everyone she encounters, ends up being a predator, and she is nothing but prey. And you get the same feeling with...
2: Well, she had a decision at one point, though, and it's not like... I mean, it comes down to pretty much any unwarranted sexual attention is rape, and she's facing something, and instead of giving into it, that's what causes the events to spiral out of control, that are you food or are you sex? If you can't be consumed by someone else, if you can't have a sellable product, then you're useless, and we will— you know, long live the new flesh. Well, make room for
1: you. She gets consumed. Yeah, um, they use her. They use her for their own beauty, which is what the whole sort of spell is about. It's about can, like keeping themselves in business. Which, I mean, I'm pretty sure what was going on in the original Suspiria was they were trying to consume Susie and use her for her own gains. Probably bring back Marcos. It's not explicitly stated as it is in say the remake. But I think it's kind of the same thing going on here. So I can see the comparison between demon and the original.
2: I I dig the concept in the remake of Suspiria that the, the dance is the ritual. But that's what they're using to bring forth. And that's somewhat noted and kind of touched upon. And it seems like that's the most Argento-like vehicle in the entire remake, that you touch upon this. But again, you have a really cool sequence where you're introduced to Marcos, like clawing and feeling Susie's energy during this performance. And then it cuts off, and you don't really get this elaboration for another 40 minutes. And it's not like that's needed, but uh, like the Jeremy Saulnier movie, the, the wolf movie, I keep calling it, the furry movie. It would have helped if somebody just said that they were brother and sister. Sometimes, if you just say it, it's okay. It's not a bad thing. And Suspiria is pretty straightforward, again, with what's going on. You know, you try to tell somebody that hasn't seen the movie what it's about. Well, it's about these witches that run a dance school in Germany. That's all you got to do. That's all you had to do. It's about some witches that run a dance school in Germany. That's it.
1: Yeah, and like with the... Argento is not the best plotter. He is not the best writer as far as story and plot details concerned. He's a visualist, and or at least he used to be. I don't know what the fuck he is now. But uh, Roger Hauer fighting a giant praying mantis is not a visualist. Um, may he rest in peace. But, I mean... For you to get so political in an homage to Argento, it just—it doesn't doesn't seem to hold weight to me. It just seems like this is not what Argento is about. He's not about telling some political story. He is about bringing you into a fantasy-style world. It's all fairy tales with him. He also likes to expose his daughter's breasts
2: a lot, and that makes me uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll talk about his other issues another time. But um, and Neon Demon is the same way. It's about taking you into a imaginary world. Letting you experience this this fairy tale. Well, too, both of them show a nastiness
2: and and reality of the world and what you're getting into, and like Suspiria not being accepted and being ostracized, and the same thing with Neon Demon. But then you have something that's as shallow as beauty being a a main conveying point of the story with Neon Demon of people being literally consumed by their own ego. I mean, it's almost Nietzschean at the end uh, we killed God and consumed it. You know, God is dead, we killed him that sort of anti-nothing. You know, there's there's no hope in, in the end of either movie because at the end of Suspiria, you still know there are two other mothers. There are two witches somewhere.
1: Yeah, we we, we saw two of those other witches and Goddamn Mother of Tears is a bad movie. Oh, Which it's is it's unfortunate so
2: because that was one of those things that, you know, wow, they're all getting back together. Everyone's, you know, Dari Nicolati's going to be in it. This really could have been something. And you know th- this is an argument that will probably get me hated, but Argento isn't a one-trick pony by no means. But after the 70s, I feel, I don't know, just the momentum of the decade style, the way things were done, he drastically changed, and his style with that change uh, disappears for me. That, Like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm not a diehard Argento fanboy. You know? I'm not going to defend him. I, would, well, I will defend Nicholas winding Refn more than
1: Argento, which is Argento odd. got kind of fat and lazy, and I don't mean that in a literal sense. I mean that in a metaphoric sense.
2: He like, got a cult following, made money, learned how to invest because
1: of his dad and his grandpa. You know, he did all right. Throughout the 80s, he was able to continue and make some interesting films up until about opera, which is exploitation crap, but I think it's still really well made at times. But past that... Well, it's also when the Italian film industry was collapsing, too. They weren't really putting out the product that they had used to. So Argento couldn't get the money to make films like he used to make them. And he started relying on some bad CGI, lower budgets, not taking the time to do anything. But he's living off of his name at this point. And, like, I'm getting to make a movie, so what? I don't have to. I've already broken the fucking film industry once. I don't have to do it again. I don't have to keep trying. I did my piece. point.
2: Uh, and his change with direction and style, too, he split with Dario Nicolotti, who wrote uh, a good portion of his big successful 1970s pictures. So that really, uh, you know, that's like Dardando Shashetti and Lucio Fulci. When they eventually split, Fulci's career just kind of went downward because he wasn't a very successful writer, he wasn't a powerful writer.
1: Yeah, that's just in general with the Italian film industry at the time. It just, after the 80s were done, it was just done. I mean, they've come back. They're still making films, but not like they used to. They're not making the level of exploitation cinema. They're not trying to, they're mostly just doing art films and ones that will get, you know, recognized. Well, exploitation is art
2: now. You know, Neon Demon is certainly an exploitation movie, but the
1: the Suspiria remake is not there's a it big difference <laughs> yeah. it is a straight up art film it's trying to make horror into art which you can but it does a like argento was able to accomplish that with the original you were able to i don't know you were able to make a weird roman polanski homage film yeah wow that's apt it really does feel like a, a polanski movie and that's why yeah, it feels like it's a Polanski movie from the 70s. And in the 70s, I think it would have gotten like a lot of notoriety. but but that, that's a different time period when the artist was king. And now at this point, when you're making a film like that, it's just there's nothing special about it. And I don't mean you like you had to go crazy with colors and noise and stuff, but you have to like. You have to really look into what your audience is doing, what you want to tell with the story of Suspiria. And the story of Suspiria has nothing to do with German reparations throughout the seventies. It just doesn't. I'm sorry that you think it does. It's but it's a story about a magical reality of like possibilities in a fantasy world. And you took it to the probably, I mean, the most real world events that were happening at that time. That's where that's where you took it to. You took it to fucking terrorism and shit. It's like that's just. I think it's just antithetical to what fucking Suspiria actually is and supposed to be about. Well, and even if I think it's like a
2: big mess up. The political nature of the movie could have at least represented the coven more so than it did actual German times and West and East Berlin and the politics going on inside. Focusing somewhat on the coven could have been helpful and might have, at least for our experience, pushed into uh, something that's really missing for me, despite it being witches and the very violent ending, is the... Occult overtone that sure you give me pinnacle dresses and five-pointed stars and all this imagery But that's the same thing that hot topic has to offer. So where are we getting at here? There's nothing more than a skin-deep level and when you're focusing like neon demon There's a lot of uh, symbolism throughout the movie, but it's not the point the point is uh, almost being clever enough to realize that anyone can be consumed by anything and your actions that you put out affect other people and, you know, you can be consumed by your own actions, vice versa.
1: Well, it, the remake, it didn't have to be so overtly, like, um, occultist for me. I didn't need to see a bunch of, you know, very realistic occult symbols and stuff like that, but it's just like you were uninterested in any of the, the he was uninterested in the magic portion of it that it like almost with Neon Demon you didn't bring up magic but it is magical and this film when you bring so much reality into it then the magic seems kind of dumb it just it doesn't like it doesn't hold sway with me at all until you get to like Marcos having weird baby arms and shit on that, and then it's starting to feel somewhat supernatural and like an odd sort of reality but, I mean, Neon Demon feels like an odd sort of reality the entire film. This seems just like, hey, this weird thing was going on in Germany. It wasn't that real bad at the time. And I thought maybe we would get more information about the three mothers since they seem to want to delve more into Tenebraeum and all that stuff. But we barely brought that up. You gave, They gave a brief synopsis of the idea of what the three mothers are, but not really maybe what their their gains are what they're wanting I know they're more ancient than you know religion and all this shit so let's get into a little bit of if you're willing to do a two and a half hour movie about Sperry let's get into it no we're getting into German reparations again in East Berlin and West Berlin and it's just there are other movies to discuss this idea and they don't involve fucking witchcraft so fucking forget about the German politics for a little bit let's get into a little bit of the witchcraft It
2: feels like one of those Hellraiser movies that obviously was an acquired script that they just tossed Pinhead into at the end of the movie to tie it together. That It's like, oh shit, no, Suspiria, yeah, witches, let's let's do something about that. I guess we're not going to make our political sad movie anymore and toss some witches in. And that's a bummer for me that just when you see that opening title and and you get your hopes up for something – you, it's just odd. It was just an odd way of exposing us to the story that, I mean, again, using written by Dario Gento or Dario Nicolati and calling it something differently, I feel would have at least if you wanted to make an homage or you were making a, a a movie similar to it again, why would you call it the same thing? It lacks outside of that mother, the three mothers reference and her being mother's disparium at the end of the movie. There's no point. There was no point calling it that.
1: I think he got—because I can, cause I can follow the thread he followed to smack these two concepts together. I can follow it from the beginning to the—I mean, he was probably interested in this time in Germany, this time in history. He knows that Suspiria took place at this time in history in Germany— well, that's even like a sentiment that it t- it did take place in that time and was
2: filmed in that time, and Argento still chose to not acknowledge any of that part. You know it's it, irrelevant to the story he's yeah, <laughs> trying to tell. It just happens to be a school in Germany. That's sort of the thing, focusing. And if they took that political air and they focus it on the, the actual actions of the coven, it still would have had a better representation of Suspiria than this very wispy Polanski-like German politics story.
1: Yeah, well, it's just, and you can see where he followed that thread into, well, these two things were going on. And I can see how the story of Suspiria, I can put these like this coven of witches. Maybe they're having a political struggle and it mirrors the political struggle that's going on. And then when we're combining these ideas together. It's like you've lost the idea of beauty and violence. And just, like, the idea of witchcraft. Because witchcraft has a certain aura and a certain vibe to it. And he was able to catch some of that vibe. But I think Winding Refn was able to, like a whole 100% capture that vibe, but not even bring up witchcraft once. With
2: only three scenes, I feel there's a representation of what's going on. You have the you know, shining-esque menstrual cycle during the full moon, the uh, exposing of the tattoos on the ruby character kind the of... bathing act. in blood. Yeah, well, that's a big one. Ritualistic bathing in blood, and then the very final sequence of, you know, I have to get her out of me that her entity, her energy was so strong, some people just couldn't deal with it, that they were being consumed by what they consumed and I just love the ending, her the uh, the one girl bending down and picking up the eyeball and then as she walks away uh, next to the, the cafe scene, it's probably my favorite, as she's walking away, if you just watch her she pulls her sunglasses down right as she turns the corner. You don't even really see it, but that itself is a testament to the vanity of the entire movie. That This is essentially her best friend. She's in every sequence with her, watches her kill herself, cut, gut herself, e- eats the eyeball. She's vomited up, but as she turns away, she's more concerned about getting back to the shoot and looking perfect because that's what it's about it's about being perfect it's about changing how people feel when you walk into the room because you're the center of attention and it's just divine that little notice to detail of her pulling down the sunglasses just the icing on the cake and again like argento i said earlier i would defend our refin winding refin over argento but i think he's massively up his own ass too bronson's a great movie but uh, going back and watching it years later from when i first seen it it's pretty boring. There's a lot of nothing going on in it. Refin Winding Refin is a candy man. He makes very pretty, great looking movies. Some of them are mindless and pointless. His first two pictures with uh, Mads Milkson's, I, I are three pictures. I don't care for. They're pretty, they're like the TV series you've talked about. A lot of exposition shots, a lot of pretty shots, a lot of violence. So, but neon demon is just something that I found. I experienced, uh, it was brought up that starry eyes, on top of Black Swan, would be a better representation of a remake than everything else. Uh, we years ago talked about Starry Eyes. I'm not a fan of it, but I don't find it. I get
1: it. Uh, I don't see it as. I don't see Starry Eyes as really comparable to Spiria, other than the concepts of which. You know race. what? I'll give Starry Eyes. A weird comparison to Rosemary's
2: Baby. I'll I'll take like a hipster's Rosemary Baby kind of thing that it's got a comparison there. But Suspiria, I think it's completely different, and not just to like squash it. I think it deserves uh, to be talked about. But I just can't connect Black what? Swan more than than ballet. More than a skin deep level, Black Swan and Suspiria really don't have anything going on in common. Visually, sure they're kind of they're both pretty movies. Darren Afro Man makes a nice movie, but. I just don't see a big click between the two.
1: These people aren't seeing with Suspiria. They're not seeing Suspiria as what it is, which is an idea. It's an idea in mood and atmosphere. And all these other comparisons they're bringing do not bring the same atmosphere to them. But Neon Demon does. Look at the scene when um, she gets her first, like, real modeling gig and the photographer, like, kicks everybody out and he starts rubbing gold fucking paint all over and all that shit. I could easily see that being in an Argento film. Well, even and before
2: having- that, you have, when she shows up to the, the like, new... I don't know what to call it. I know nothing about modeling, but they are, they're all in their underwear and they have to do the walk. The cattle and, call. Yeah, the, the, the guy doesn't look up whatsoever from his glasses for the girl that ends up eventually consuming her, but stops out absolutely everything for El Fanning, and that itself, that sexualization, this the staunch white room, the weird atmosphere, that's Argento just completely, and that's, that's the magic.
1: Of, <laughs> that's yeah. the magic of the exercise.
2: Well, what's fantastic, too, is that scene actually lacks almost all the neon that this movie's famous for, and where most of the comparisons to Dario Argento are, are brought forward is his use of neon. This scene completely lacks it, and it's the most similar, because the high-tension sexuality the very aggressive American male character. You know, he's even got that perfect squared mustache, just very uh, macho kind of looking guy. And But he still has an air of grace to him. And like all the male Argento characters, whether it was a writer or a detective, they all had this fascinating, n- no real American ever had level of cool, like MacGyver, you know, just this neat kind of air to them, these smoking Humphrey Bogart badasses. They all drank J&B. They were all witty, just way too witty. It was just kind of sexy. It was uh, Argento worked and turned characters into very, very sexy versions of actual people. And Refn, winding Refn, managed to, in this scene, encapsulate everybody and who they are from dominant to submissive to
1: becoming a god, pretty much. It's a non-reality that you are able as a filmmaker to turn into a reality that seems like reality and with that's the magic trick of it and with the remake there is no magic trick you're just telling the story you're not trying to entrance people because Suspiria is a movie about witchcraft that almost performs witchcraft on you it, the way it is made just the, what the director's choices were make your heart beat faster they make you enthralled same thing with neon demon Suspiria remake does not make me feel anything it, there is no spell being cast on me by the actual film about witches it, it's just it's an exercise it's an exercise in conversation which is fine but if you're remaking Suspiria I, I expect greater things out of you than starting a conversation I expect you to really be able to cast a spell with your work and it's doable. Some people have like have done it year after like many years have been able to do stuff like that and you're more of like a just a, a technical director. You're not able to, to cast spells wanting ref and cast spells all goddamn day. He can we really He can take you, nothing and cast spells. He can make you spell. feel this this world that he's creating, it hums. The entire world hums as you're watching it, and there's just too much reality in *My Superior* remake. Get that fucking reality out of my peanut butter. Somebody
2: worded it that way to me, though, that this is like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, but *Suspiria*. Which I hate. Yeah, it, well, that itself, that's problematic. It's Suspiria, but real. So it's not Suspiria. You just told me it's Suspiria, but exactly. in, the, in the same sentence, you just convinced me it absolutely isn't. And it's like I was talking about earlier how— Filmmaking is like painting, especially with somebody like Dario Argento, who is a visual filmmaker and makes specific visuals to entice you, romance you, bring you into that universe. He deals directly in the four walls of cinema. It is a fantasy. A giallo, regardless, is a fantasy, even if it's a perversion you are watching a film, and that is very specific. When you break that and you bring in the real nature of politics and uh, fascism is a very heavy subject to to talk about and to try and manipulate into any sort of story unless it's about the, the the Nazis pretty much. Nobody ever talks about fascism unless it's skinheads, Nazis, something like that. So you're just pushing people to, I don't know, not— accept the magic they're just not going to look for it because it's so real They're, you know well what's going on what are the RAF what's you're spending more time losing imagination you're spending your
1: time on plot and explanation when you need to be spending it on story and Suspiria is rich in story well, it it's takes so your imagination rich telling you what's going on it's rich on imagination and like ideas and feelings and you're more about setting up a table to discuss a topic when that is just, it's not what Suspiria is about. Like, even the trailer for Suspiria, that lame, what's um, the only thing more terrifying than the first 92 minutes of Suspiria or the last, like, 17 or whatever the hell that ad campaign was, even though those times do not add up. And Suspiria is in no way that running time at all. It doesn't matter, but, but that's beside the point. That trailer fits Neon Demon. The only thing more surprising than the uh, first 92 minutes or the last 15. Think about the last 15 minutes of Neon Demon and what happens and how entrancing that last teen, like 15 minutes is and how it really just puts you in this mood. And I don't get a mood at the end of the Suspiria remake. What I get is some weird slow-motion footage of heads exploding while Radiohead plays in the background. And it gives me a mood, but it's not even quite the same mood. It's wanting me... It's trying to grab me in and appreciate the beauty within the moment but you're like you're you're trying to tell me that as opposed to just showing me that and that's what Argento does. That's but what what's Reckon the moment?
2: Does. I mean, the the moment is just this explosive scene of violence, and then it returns to the subtle, drab nature that the movie had previously been in. So to me, it's just like, we got to throw in something. You know, somebody's checking their watch. I don't know, because it wasn't even, you know, I, I'm not saying it had to be exquisitely done because it's a superior remake, but it wasn't even impressive. You know, I'm not like trying to bash indie filmmakers, but you know I've seen shit on Amazon that has better death sequences in it that was made for you know two thousand bucks and edited on Adobe Premiere. And this was a major fucking movie. I just maybe expect a little bit more. And th- there again is an issue. I didn't expect anything. so I didn't fucking want this and I've avoided seeing it just because of my lack of interest and and just to discuss that. It's not that I didn't care, or not that I thought it was going to be a bad movie, but essentially all the problems I had with the movie are what made me want to avoid it, because for one, you chose to remake Suspiria. I don't think it was necessary, and I don't care, and I'm past a point of being a gatekeeper saying I hate remakes because I don't. There's a lot of great remakes out there. I just literally did not care, and I still don't. There are so many more things out there to watch that are better and it's just, I'm not trying to pick on somebody because it's a good piece. It's a nice movie. It's a great piece of cinema, and it's a neat introduction to the mythos of Suspiria. And it's, it, you obviously okay. have
1: to pick apart what it's written on, but... Think about the two probably most famous horror remakes of all time. You think about, um, I thought about The Thing and The Fly. I was, both, what? I, I was thinking The Thing and the Blob for some reason. Oh, well, I, I wouldn't include The Blob in that, but The Thing and the Fly take a pre-existing concept and then scarface that concept better. They take the concept and work with it more and like really elaborate more on what the original concept was to begin with. Well, let's take even horror out of the picture. Scarface and The Departed are... With much better
2: ventures than the original, and they're straightforward remakes. You know, it's not thinly veiled, it's a fucking remake. Scarface is a remake of the Howard Hawks movie. So, both of those completely different directions than horror movies. You still have the same thing. They but, took the subject
1: matter, I they picked something it. that was good, and made it better because I would say all those movies are like the originals were pretty good movies and then they made them better. And when the Suspiria makes like improve on the things that it was missing, you just decided to strip everything that made it unique out of it and just try to make the story work on like a non-emotional level. Really? It's a, like a non-engaging level. It's like, but that's not what's engaging about Suspiria. Suspiria is all about, it's about the bravado, and there's no bravado here. You've saved all your bravado for the last, like, ten minutes, and you fucked it up. You fucked it up, and you didn't know how to shoot it correctly. That's the so. argument that I keep receiving, though, is
2: oh, you just don't get it. It changed it, and it took all that out to make it different, which, if you're
1: making it different, again,
2: why the fuck did you call
1: it Suspiria? <laughs> well, that, well ah! I, mean, I, I see the point of that, but doing something just like – to and taking an idea and just completely flipping it over and being the exact opposite of the idea is kind of pointless and stupid. That's how a child – like, oh, you want this different? Well, I'll do it 100 percent different and I'll just completely do it different. No, I want you to take what was a previously existing idea and like tw- like tweak it and mess with it and like maybe try to improve – these ideas and these concepts nah, I just want to do it 100% different we're, we're just going to do 180 to return on. and as opposed to using uh, red, I'm going to use grey well, and the director my music does. as opposed to being bombastic is going to be very slow it's like, fuck that idea, man that's not interesting, that's just doing it completely different
2: Well, the director does heavily uh, word that this is his tribute and homage to Suspiria, and he, I guess, wanted it to be billed that way. But uh, looking at just not even horror fans, but people that acknowledge Suspiria or just movie fans in general, there's no other way that you're going to market it if you're using that word. If you're calling it that and you're using even a similar style font – it's just going to have the connotation that's going to be similar to the original movie. And like the Omen remake, it was pretty mirror to the Omen and people even had problems with that. You know, they couldn't make it original. So I get where both sides of these arguments are coming from. And again, I just stick to my guns with but it you could don't have been have
1: to, like do it all, like a complete about face and go the exact opposite yeah, that, direction either. That's not how, how that works. Well, that's what because I mean, you're not you know, getting the products you're craving at this I, point. Well, that's why I just feel I stick
2: to my guns with this should have been called something different. It should have been given writing credits to Daria and Dario, but it it could have been called anything else. It could have been even been called like Suspirium or, you know, Mother Suspirium. It could have been a tribute in the title to the movie. And it's not like it angers me. I'm not like some ranting fanboy that just is sucking Dario's dick. It's just an annoyance almost. I felt more annoyed and a lack of completion finishing the movie than anything. And that, I mean, that's like something like Midsummer that I walked out of the movie almost feeling like a wash of happiness and acceptance that – It's the world isn't so bad. And finishing the Suspiria remake, I was just annoyed and left somewhat dismal. And that's not even the upheaval feeling at the end of Argento's or, you know, Neon Demon leaves you feeling somewhat hopeless. But at the same time, you know, that ending song that's playing as she walks through the desert, it's got this sort of i don't know everything changes and you have to change consume or die like bruce lee said be like water it's got a positive taoist kind of message but at the same time you know you take it in for what it is but i just felt empty and
1: uh, bored just bored and annoyed okay. with suspiria take the one here you know, like what this is an homage to *Spiria*. no one an homage to is neon demon a movie that which, albeit is very different than Suspiria, is very much similar to Suspiria. And when you, with your remake, your homage, you decided to take everything that feels like Dario Argento, everything that like emulates from the idea of what Suspiria is, and you made you fucking remade Possession again, which is weird. I don't know why you would remake Possession like <laughs> and do it with the story of Suspiria because that's basically. Conceptually, where you you took the thing was just how um, was it Zulawski? I can never remember his name, the director yeah. of uh, Possession. Hold hold on here a second, Andre Zulawski's Zulawski. Yeah. yeah, it was correct. Wow. <laughs> As I <laughs> big brain over here, I remembered Zulawski. I um, actually had a reference this time. He, like he took a similar tone to that film and made Suspiria with it, which Oh well, that's is, a funny thing you brought up because like weird. Kept... Well, I kept thinking
2: it, too, especially with uh, just how the the tone of the movie in general, not even so much the palette, because it is a very similar palette to Possession, but just the tone and this sadness with—and really, that's something that's being conveyed in the remake, and I think it was conveyed fairly well, but a sadness, a general— I don't know, sigh, which fits into The Mother of Tears, and it left you feeling somewhat uh, a sigh resonating, but I don't think that was appropriate. It's really,
1: again, not what's... <laughs> I guess astute. you're right, though. Hold on a second. I think you're 100% right about that. Well, I guess I got what I was was told in the title, The Mother of Sighs, and after that, kind of went, huh, I sighed a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, guess, I guess you achieved everything you were trying to do it was just to not, like, impress me or make me feel like I've taken to another world. You literally...
2: Go, Transcribe uh, <laughs> well, and it's like that argument. Like, well, it's like the the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, and your reaction is the same as mine. I don't like those movies. I I weirdly will straight up tell you, Joel Schumacher made a better Batman movie. Why? Because it's a
1: fucking fantasy. It took the magic out of Batman. You took. Great, right, he's depressed. Of... <laughs> well, it's not even he's depressed, but you took all of the like the the childlike wonderment out of Batman, and you turned him into. A fucking psychopath like vigilante who serious like, to me though, like Joker's
2: depressed, Batman's depressed, Alfred's depressed. Guess what? So am I. It, you're not fucking helping me. I have to go get more Zoloft after I finish Batman. No, it,
1: uh, there needs to be pow and punch. And it doesn't, doesn't it need doesn't to have be, to be like, yeah, it doesn't have to be like crazy fucking kitty. but you like, you made it into like a very real thing. And in like reality, Mur- Batman is a fucking psychopath and not that interesting. Well, because and that's the issue is you try to fucking humanize... He's a He's a fascist, for Christ's sakes.
2: Well, yeah, you're trying to humanize a guy that dresses up as a bat and beats the shit out of people... To where the other aspect of it is this rich millionaire that's supposed to be saving the day, so he's just this depressed psychopath. It's it's Patrick Bateman that's just gone way exactly.
1: out of line. Like, <laughs> what have you done here? What an ad casting choice to pick the fucking American Psycho to play the fucking psycho Bat. know, yeah, apparently Joker's uh, been complaining about this entire time about Batman. It's hundred percent true. He's what? just a psychopath. That's the
2: like shitty part about that movie is it took me years to see it, and it, it that character, the Joker character. Began Came this guy Fox representation for internet assholes to make their profile picture, and you know, like same Tyler. I just want to see the world burn. It's the same Tyler Durden kind of thing. But then you finally watch Batman, and you get halfway through the movie, and it's like, shit, the Joker's kind of right, though. Damn, Batman is real. And you get to the—they don't even help in the third. because it's like shit Bane's kind of right too though the new Avengers movie or whatever like damn Big Purple Dude's kind of right this is not helpful this is not good the,
1: the weird thing about like you brought up Fight Club and the weird thing about Tyler Durden is early Tyler Durden early into the fantasies that's what you should be paying attention to not crazy fascist Tyler Durden at the end because that's when he becomes a problem so all these people who like Worship the character of Tyler Durden. No, he's right about these things. You're Here's not. Your a... You're not all these different things. You're polishing silver on the Titanic. But all the shit where we need to rebel and like reset the credit card but debt is look some nasty the... bullshit
2: look at the beginning of the book and look at the end that they play this game the narrator and Tyler who would you fight and it's my father and Abraham Lincoln and then at the end of the movie they're fighting each other for power that it's they've already conquered these things but let's I I love telling people this because it I don't know it pisses people off but you want to know what Fight Club is about Fight Club is about being a submissive homosexual man that fantasizes and wants to be a big, huge accepted part of culture with their big dick in your face. And why Why do I have this assessment? Because Chuck Palahniuk went camping and got the fuck beat out of him by a bunch of rednecks, and he went back to his tent crying and bloody and thought about how great it would be to go seek revenge. And that's where the idea came forward of is, I'm tired of being called this. I don't want to be. I'm not a faggot. I'm a man. I have every right and emotion as you so this is what would happen if i fought back and that's the representation of what tyler durden is in fight club so when you identify with this big macho end of the world thing but at the same time you know well
1: real men don't wear pink i think you've missed the point well you've massively missed the point the end of fight club you've massively missed the point because it ends up and you know buzzwords here it becomes about toxic toxic masculinity that's all it is I mean that's that's what the ending is it becomes problematic you're not supposed to go in no he shouldn't have uh, gotten Tyler out of his life he was really helping him he helped him at first and then he went like fucking all Hitler on him
2: well for all the fanboys there is a fight club two and now fight club three and Tyler is back and has started a new world order it's awful him and Marla have kids and it's awful it's dumb they're all graphic novels, and it's disappointing because uh, Chuck Palahniuk was a, uh, an amazing driving force of the late 90s. Yeah, Definitely. you know, he wrote some amazing novels in the late 90s and 2000s, and now, you know, kind of like the Suspiria remake, it just panders to a specific audience, and
1: well, I don't mean that it's Stephen insulting. Stephen King, for Christ's sake. See, he lost all of his fucking go in the 90s. He's done. Stephen King lost all his shit when he got
2: hit by a fucking car and... I don't yeah. know some some weird voodoo. Like he made a deal with some Wendigo on the the fields of Maine, laying in that ditch, and they took all of his talent for him to live another fifty years. I I don't know. And Frank Darabont appeared and told him, you know, you have to give me the rights to all your stories, or I'm not going to take you to a doctor. Garris showed up, and it was an awful. It was just I'm going nowhere with this make believe Stephen King story. <laughs> yes, Dreamcatcher is a very bad book. Uh, Mick Harris hit Stephen King because he wouldn't sell him the rights to uh dream uh, did Mick who did Dreamcatcher?
1: Uh God, Warrens Kazden. Oh wow. So that's none of the regulars. Frank Darabont would have done it. No, he did The Mist. He did the Mist, which was a good movie. Frank Darabont knows how to treat Stephen King material. A lot of people don't.
0: He knows what to cut. It's 12 o'clock. Did you know where your child is? Has your child shown interest in ballet or modern dance? Has your child begun praising Satan the Dark Lord and dancing the Witch's Sabbath? Does your child have interest in pre-fall of the Berlin Wall European politics? So, please call 1-800-Suspiria. Your child may be in, uh, it may be in danger. Just call 1-800-Suspiria. Just call it now. You're listening to me.
2: So what do you think about Black Swan and Starry Eyes? I mean, I know that you enjoy them as movies, and that's besides the point, but these comparisons to Suspiria as a true remake. Now, we we kind of brush Starry Eyes away, and I'm with you on that. I don't really see it. I don't...
1: uh, Starry Eyes, I would say, has more in common with something like Neon Demon, just in story concepts about basically selling your soul and being surrounded by some sort of predatory like you know force against you but I don't see it being anything really to do with I mean in devil worshippers there's not much occult in it it's just it's mostly about someone selling themselves out
2: finally most of the imagery is uh, Thelema and Aleister Crowley a lot of unicursal hexagrams uh, the whole do it that will 93-93-93 idea of the new aeon and giving up a pound of flesh for your soul and all that. And it's, it, it has a lot of representation of the occult, much so it's more closer
1: to um society than anything.
2: It's i will give it that for the the falling apart aspects and and the power struggle and people not knowing who each other are. But I still see a lot of comparisons to Rosemary's Baby and not being able to trust who's around you and just fear of the unknown, fear of change, fear of self acceptance. It's not a bad movie. I don't have problems I just with don't it. Feeling that it's Suspiria, you know what I mean. And I, I just uh, overall my. Every time I've watched the movie I've seen it three or four times It's just I don't know how to say it Without sounding condescending Or like some fucking gatekeeper But I don't know, it's just a, it's a Rich Kid hipster movie. Gene Simmons kid was one of the fucking producers and is in it and it's just bad it it had nothing to me. It had a lot of tone. It looks cool, but it just whatever. Game it was keeping
1: you are gatekeeping.
2: I don't know. It just with comparisons to something like Neon Demon, it's just a limp dick to me. Like, man, I've seen all the movies that this is referencing and I don't give a fuck Gene well, Simmons so what, kid. I do
1: know what the movie is. I mean I don't think it broke new ground, but I think it's...
2: It's fine.
1: ...the budget that they had, and they are very clear and concise about the story they want to tell, and I can applaud that for what it is. On the other hand, with Black Swan, you have all the money in the world, and big stars, you have an eco-signature director, and I don't see... I can see a comparison to Suspiria just in the fact of the idea of change but like any like occult themes, that none of those are present. This is mostly about a person losing their mind. And I, like, she I could doesn't, say Black Swan's a lot like Fight Club, for Christ's sakes. It's more like Fight Club than it is Suspiria.
2: <laughs> she doesn't actually become a swan, and Tyler doesn't exist. And you gotta know the disappointment I felt when she didn't actually become a swan, because that's what I was like going for the whole time. You know, ballet dancer becomes a swan. Again, maybe I asked the wrong thing out of movies but it, it's whatever again uh, it's not like i'm absolutely crazy about darren Aronofsky. i think it's a fine
1: movie <laughs> you still did it wrong darren afro man is what i prefer to call him but <laughs> darren aronofsky aaron off and ski afro man
2: afro man whatever he is the guy that sang because i got high and directed requiem for a dream same guy Absolutely 100% the same person. But, like, it's, it's, it just didn't, it, it affected me. I understood the story. It's a very beautifully visual story. It's great, but it's neither here nor there. Like, I watched it yeah. in comparison with, like, and I sat down just to get all this in mind. I watched the *Superior* remake. Then I had to watch it again, which I, I, we've discussed this before, but I'm a little weird. I'll watch something upwards of five times so I'm finally comfortable with it that I love, like rereading a book or listening to a song over and over again. I'm obsessive. And then I slipped into Black Swan and watching that in between. I watched uh, Suspiria, Black Swan, Neon Demon, and then Suspiria 1977. And Black Swan just doesn't even really fit. And the, the, it's the, the amount of dance in Suspiria is so minuscule that it doesn't even really connect as a dance movie. If anything, that's what Black Swan is. And it's a, it's an emotional roller coaster. It's a psychological thriller. I don't find horror a very proper title for its genreing. I mean psychological thriller. I stuff.
0: would
1: call it I would call it a horror film, but like a, a light horror film. But But
2: I it's think... the type of horror movie that obviously wins an Academy Award, but at the same time so did like Silence of the Lambs, and that's a
1: different caliber movie. Well I think like Black Swan has a lot more in comparison to the Suspiria remake than it ever does with the original. It feels I mean, th- those are both movies about change, about what's inside of us um, the, like the magic inside of us whatever the hell you, however you want to put it but those two, I would say, are more comparable. The original Suspiria like dance is not even really that important to it particularly I mean, it's funny it is that and it isn't Jessica, it's more just a place to stick it
2: I'm sure I've said this before, but it's somewhat funny that Jessica Harper, who was a dancer, started her career as a dancer. All the movies she stars in about dance, she does not fucking dance in. Phantom of the Paradise, she, like, does a little country shuffle and, like, the cha-cha slide, and it's awful. I just want to see her dance, goddammit. Let me see the Dancing Lady dance. That was something that really annoyed me with the Suspiria remake is like, okay, we're focusing on dance. We're going with the dance angle. That's fine. It is I a like dance I like the idea school. that
1: the dance like is involved in the occult aspects of it, that the well, dance is very important to their casting. The styles. ritual. Yeah. Yes, yeah, like, the ritual of it.
2: I love that entire aspect and I enjoyed it. But then, so you're focusing on the dance. You're going to give me a dance. And this drove me fucking bananas you'll get this great exposition about everybody's going to get started and then it'll cut to something completely else and then cut back mid-dance and I never actually got to see anything. And you go and you read about the making of the movie and read that people trained for two years, I I would have liked to have seen, if you're going to focus on the dancing, something rhythmic. That's at least something deeply appreciative about Black Swan. I believe there's something like, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, this is an estimation, but there was something like 129... Dancing sequences shot And like 108 of them By the final cut was Natalie Portman She essentially did like 80% of her own dancing and performances in that movie, and that's wild. You can see it. Great acting. It's neither here nor there as a comparison, but if you're going to focus on something like that, I like how Black Swan represented it. You actually saw dancers dancing. So you're going to give me this great costuming and this elaborate idea that the dancing is a rhythmic ritual to bring forth these spirits, but then you don't really show me the dancing It's just, like, the lack of an ending, really, or just that explosive fading, you know... uh, Do you remember that movie Max Payne with uh, Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, like, they did the Matrix slow bullet bullshit. That's what the end felt like of Suspiria for me, that they were doing that slow-down, you know, fade, let's-make-it-look-really-1999 techno-soundtrack. It would have fit more Neon Demon slowing time down than it did appropriately in Suspiria.
1: Well, I mean so much of what all of these movies are trying to have in common they just really don't i don't see it. like neon demon and suspiria i see what they have in common and the rest of these films like maybe some occult themes maybe some dance themes maybe some themes have changed but ultimately what suspiria is shallow found, comparisons but it's just a very surface level. And what Suspiria is, what I've been trying to, more than anything to discuss, is Suspiria is in itself a bit of magic. It's magic through image, through music, through performance, through different ideas. You reference. Lewis Carroll's Through the
2: Looking Glass Earlier And that's You know I think a really Really apt way Of looking at it But instead of The Jessica Harper Character being Alice It's you The audience member That you're being Transported to Wonderland And falling into this she's And that's also
1: just An avatar in the film Anyway for us She's yeah. unimportant Of what her character Actually is She's just She's an outsider She's someone Who's foreign To these events And Elle Fanning Is the outsider As well And foreign To these these events And Neon Demon It's just Neon Demon goes in a different direction than Spirit goes because Susie Bannon is able to basically save herself and, you know, kill the witches at the end while uh, Elle Fanning just ends up falling prey to the witches at the end. Well, she and falls prey, She buys but... into it. She buys into the whole performance of it all and you can look
2: into the there is no self aspect of things that she has finally realized that she is dangerous and the greatest thing since sliced bread and none of it matters and it's all just situational so you know, she's consumed by the others, not just envy, but at this point, their disdain. It's similar to the *Superior* remake of a fascist leader or an upheaval between people that are dejected, hurt, broken. It's all about change, and that's really like the career of Winding Ref in a lot of his movies, even his first three. The other ones with Mads Milkins, It's all I always say his fucking name wrong. It's about uh, change, you know, this drug dealer bad boy's life changing.
1: Oh, Bronson is, has a fair amount of change in it. Um, only God forgives. I see. Yeah, there's some change in there. Of there's a lot of things going on. Only like God forgives with like um, with like like um, being in love with your mother and wanting to crawl back into the womb and control and all these different ideas and drive is like the least amount of ref and putting stuff in there. I mean, he, he's just kind of a dude. Who wants to do kind of the right thing For once So I mean I guess there's some change in there as well Well
2: Drive is something that's a bit more shallow That it's more of a visually appealing movie And it's not so much the story That you're focusing on It's the painting It's the masterpiece at work And I think Reffens that type of guy David Lynch is that type of guy Not everything has to have this deeper meaning to you And that's something that I feel is sort of conveyed With this *Suspiria* remake That we're supposed to be detached And in this specific time But unfortunately You you managed to not give me Anything to care about I feel bad and sympathetic For these characters And I understand the plight I certainly understand the plight Of a, a right-wing Fascist guard Rising in your country And destroying things I think most Americans Can understand that But I just You didn't cause me To care about anybody I didn't, and that was that's with starry eyes. I didn't care about any of the characters. I didn't feel anything for them. But Neon Demon, I'm almost left at a crossroads of, of heartbreak, but almost anger with the demise of Elle Fanning. That you know, it's she became everything that she stood against, but at the same time, it's beautiful that she was consumed and that it spread out to these people. But who uses power wisely?
0: Yeah,
1: and overall with all of these films is the idea of i've talked about before of magic and that is what filmmaking is it's creating an illusion creating an illusion that affects you mentally that affects you emotionally affects you in all these different ways and using all these different departments hair wardrobe lighting all that stuff to create the ultimate illusion and i didn't think there was much of an illusion created in the Suspiria remake as, as much as it was in Neon Demon and the original Suspiria. They're creating their own world, this whole new kind of place that you're getting to visit and you never get things like this, this reality. And when you get into the reality, the literal reality of German politics, it just... I'm not being transformed I'm not going into This different world And Learning Like feeling all these Magical things Whether they be good Or whether they be Bad emotions I'm still feeling emotions I didn't feel really Any emotions I it felt makes... like I was in history class
2: For the most part well, things make sense, but it's like years ago we did a big Texas Chainsaw Massacre show and you got kind of mad at me because I have all these questions like where's Leatherface from, who's Nubbins, what's Drayton, blah, 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 just dumb, minuscule background things that don't so much matter, and that's kind of what the Superior remake – feels to me as of somebody sitting there and going well this was 1977 germany and the wall was still up so these witches definitely had to be affected by world war ii so what would happen let's focus on the effect of all this with these witches and it just that straying completely away from the magic and not just in the occult sense in the movies about witches but the magic of the movie and the magic of the subject matter in both aspects of what's going on it's just taken
1: away it's gone well, go. I mean, you brought up Texas Chance Massacre. If you go to that Leatherface movie of recent, it is a prequel talking about what, how where the where Leatherface came from and that, what was his origins, who's this character, and all that. And all these questions that they're trying to answer in this prequel, and it's not satisfying because what's scarier? this really beleaguered plot about escaping from a mental institution, getting his face shot up by the cops and all this nonsense, additional plot garbage, or big scary motherfucker in a big scary fucking mask after me with a chainsaw. I don't know what his intentions are. I don't even, and he's going to eat me. That is natural. That is down to the core of what you fear. And when you start knowing more about these things, it becomes a lot less magical, doesn't it? It becomes a reality-based idea of, well, he was taken away from his mother, and uh, who the fuck cares? That's not scary. That's not oh, I mean, that's like all. the whole
2: Patton Oswalt bit about Star Wars. You know, I'm going to kill George Lucas at midnight with a shovel that, you know, you want to hear about Darth Vader? Well, he's sad because his mom died. And Boba Fett, he's sad because his mom died. It's irrelevant. Just a, yeah. Irrelevant
1: information.
2: Well, that's like something that with Neon Demon, you're given really no background story on the character. You have nothing. And with Susie Bannon in the original Suspiria, you know, she's a dancer that's been accepted into the school in New York. The little bit of background that you get Did with you Know
1: she was Amish. Yeah,
2: there was... Who the fuck cares. You don't. You irrelevant. Find, I, I don't know if they actually specify where Jessie's from in Neon Demon, but all you know is that she doesn't have parents and that she's still in high school and is sixteen, turning seventeen. That's she's a it. Run away. Yeah, I don't know why. That's all you need to know. You're not even given really a last name. So you have still an exposition of those two characters, Susie and Jesse, being nobodies. That, like you said, is the vehicle pushing you into this fantasy world as to where the Suspiria remake. I can't align myself with any of these characters, nor do I understand their plight or struggle because you didn't give me a chance to. You just gave me who they are and where they're from and that didn't allow me to form a, an attachment to them. I can't relate and then by the time I'm trying to relate it's the end
1: of the movie and everyone's heads blowing up. What? <laughs> and again, I don't hate the movie. I just I, I don't hate it at all. I just think it's a completely different kind of movie. Than what the original Suspiria is, and I know that's probably what the intentions were to make it completely different. Yeah,
2: that's the point, but like, it's a fucking I just bad don't see point, the purpose
1: though. Purpose of doing that? The, why would you take the original intentions and flip them? Because that is counter to everything that you're trying to do i
2: think that's what you do now though i think that's just the thing you know if you're gonna take old subject matter it's it's blase to make it the exact same way so you have to do something and it's just absolutely changing it that's what's unique
1: they go for cheap they go for exploitive like
2: well think of andy warhol you know i mean he just took a printing press and slapped out really cheap stuff that the art world kind of balked at but was completely different and new and was a reversal of what had been you know somebody spending 97 hours working on an oil painting compared to him slapping some silk screens together people still to this day say that Andy Warhol wasn't an artist and he didn't transcend shit and he was a sellout so you have similar aspects you know just taking the subject matter and completely flipping it but that still drives me to why That's do you even acknowledge right. your Well, Why why bother acknowledging the title then? I just don't understand if you're going to go down this road and change it so significantly why you would even bother calling it Suspiria because when you're labeling something fucking Coca-Cola, New Coke, people got really, really pissed off and they changed it to Coke Classic and now you can go buy awful-ass New Coke in a Stranger Things box because nostalgia sells. That's besides the point. But if you're selling a brand, people expect something of the brand
1: and I think basically with Neon Demon, the original Suspiria, they're pretty much both asking a question of really what would you do for power? To what levels are you willing to go for power? And the question that the remake of Suspiria is interested in answering is how you wield power. What's the morality of wielding power? Um, even with like um, Marcos, so like when to give up power, when to let the the new guard come in and Actually, you know, change things up. Is a
2: representation of you know false politicians, liars, people bringing forth change because she wasn't a mother. She has been lying to the covenant, stating that she was a mother, and essentially feeding off their energy and stealing from them. Like rich billionaires, Jeff Bezos running Amazon and treating employees badly. You know, it's it's fascism. That's what it is. It's just a big. Uh, Like And I brought this up earlier and I guess explaining it, but essentially Cannibal Holocaust is kind of a a bash at the United States and how Vietnam was handled and and journalism and and the Marine Corps. And there's just a lot of European thoughts on the United States. And I feel that the Suspiria remake kind of is a similar thing. They took a horror vehicle and they made more of a a political piece, which – you know you can't help but bring up american politics it's very similar to post german politics or even post war german politics and pre war german politics the rise and the fall of the roman empire all that bullshit comparisons but i just i just feel it's a bad vehicle to try and represent something like that with
1: well the, oh, i mean the bit, i mean the politics that we really need to kind of discuss about the german politics that are involved in this is it's in a time of basically Reparations, not monetary, I mean some monetary, but of thinking about World War II, the Holocaust, and how we make up for it, and how we as a society don't let it happen again. That's what was going on in the 70s. And where that's an interesting idea, I don't think it has anything to do with the ideas of what Suspiria is really about. And America hasn't faced those ideas yet either. It, well, that's I mean, kind of... That was
2: a bit of a problem I had with the movie, too, though, is that obviously it's supposed to take place in the 70s Germany, and it's a political air, but every shot has this kind of phony, awful-looking Berlin Wall, and it's the 70s, so it's monotone. It's the 70s. Here's a David Bowie poster. It's the 70s, so here's the wall. Every shot outside is going to have the wall in it, because it's the 70s. The original Suspiria didn't even fucking show it once, and it's not that the movies are comparable, because they're obviously not, but... I get it. It's the seventies. I get it. It's the Berlin wall. I completely understand. Why are you going to It's like showing a gun in a movie, but not using it. They show the wall continuously, but it plays absolutely nothing because the separation isn't even that visible between the covens. So if you're using the wall as like a reference to the separation between people, only one person kills themselves. And then Susie is the mother fucking Suspiria. So
1: there's no separation. Yeah. And I think that brings me back to the point that it's the remake is so intent on talking about how you wield power, and I just don't think that's the thing we need to get into in a Suspiria remake because Suspiria is just about power in general. It, well, I mean, it, a story like based commenting on... on good or bad. It's just the the nature of power. Well, not if you the you did it... the ends of which it's used. If you did it as a story based on Suspiria, uh, which, again,
2: is what this is supposed to be, you could make it about power because you're acknowledging that you've written something on top of the original source material, but this displays itself as a complete remake, so that's not even subjective anymore. It's just dismissing what Suspiria is about, and that's how I take it, that you can reverse it and call it an artistic, integral, integral point or point of view, but it just seems like you're dismissing what... You just didn't want to deal with it, that you wanted to make a completely different movie, and you did. And it's not—it
1: just shouldn't have been titled what it is. Yeah, I mean, and you can discuss different ideas, and it's, it's, it's good to bring new ideas to these things. But if you were going to bring these ideas towards me, then you might want to give me another package to put them in, because the package you put them in is so— Keep saying antithetical, but to the original Suspiria, that I automatically am going to have a hard time accepting your other concepts. So, if you wanted to throw that the concept in of this, how you wield power and the struggle of um, dissenting power and all these different ideas, you at least need to give it to me in a a pretty neon demon package, something along those lines. We can discuss these things, but we like it's about. Taking little liberties With your source material Little liberties I mean, think about And I do not sing the praises of this thing all the time I do think it's a good movie But I we're just going to talk about the Dawn of the Dead remake here real quick They were able to make And this is mostly to James Gunn Fug Zack Snyder He has almost nothing to do with this He was able to take the same concepts Of Dawn of the Dead The original Dawn of the Dead And completely change characters, story, Use the idea of the mall, consumerism, all those things, and get those same sort of ideas across with a completely different story, and a completely different like framework to his to his film and his idea. And with the *Superior* remake, you took all those ideas and you kept it in just kind of a more bland framework. Here you go, and I'm going to give you a bunch of new ideas, and it's just like, oh, it's give me one or the other. Don't give me both. Yeah, a completely new concept is
2: almost inappropriate at this point because it just doesn't matter. You've given me something that is so far away from what we went into looking, and it's fucking Witches the Dance. It's a witch dance school. That's it. It's a witch dance school. And and that's sort of the funny part about how shallow Neon Demon is, is in its nature... The movie itself is again it could even be taken as a thinly veiled diss toward how Americans are very, very fashion not fashion savvy, but uh I don't know, vain and condescending and just completely stuck on themselves. Sure. It's made stuck by on an the I- idea of beauty, yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's an outsider looking in, but if anything, it's it's mysticism. The entire point is experiencing magic while watching neon demon and the wondering what ifs and Suspiria leaves you wondering what if I mean the 77 Argento movie it has this wonderment and awe and the imagination is is the most integral part of this that you are allowed to imagine and pull yourself into the story which you're not given with the 2018 Suspiria you're not a part of anything you're just a bystander in this experience and it's nothing that even really reflects on you unless you Emotionally Attach yourself to it And you have to do that Unlike Neon Demon and the original Suspiria Where you're presented A gateway to Attach yourself to the art And to experience the emotion of feeling the movie
1: I think it can pretty much Be summed up with the idea of You need a little bit Of sugar in the spoon To get the, the, the drop of urine Down So what type
2: of medicine?
1: (laughs) That's the that's the idea, though, like drinking pee, drinking piss, my friend. But like you didn't give me the sugar before you gave me the politics. I need a little bit of sugar in my politics. I need a candy coating. I need some fucking lights. I need some goblin. I need some intensity. I need something. I mean, you and go you into a movie— just gave me Tom York whining over a piano, and that doesn't do it for me, okay?
2: Well, I mean, you can go into a political movie with that notion, though. Like, Syriana is a very dry, long political movie. Anything about Jack Reacher or Tom Ryan by— that guy that's dead that wore a red hat all the time yeah all of those are just dry long i mean even the hunt for red october it's mostly people standing around arguing on a set that looks like a submarine and a bizarrely scottish russian general but that's besides the point they're dry and you know going into it that's your expectations when you say something like suspiria it's savory it's mouth-watering it sounds like it's going to be just the most awing fucking amazing thing you've ever seen. then like i like tom york but man that wasn't even good like everything about this was just approached so subdued and so calm and that's just not the approach that you needed to take for something like this and it didn't need to be wild and screaming but there's just well, being subdued and being calm calm it's could not have been, wild
1: and screaming i
2: mean it's, yeah you could be calm and subdued in so many different fashions you didn't have to literally make it mute and calm and subdued like a
1: fucking psychiatrist's office i need a little emotion Well, Neon Demon is, I mean, no one really freaks out. There's not like constant screaming or anything, but there is um, extreme techno music, extreme lighting and all of these things to really pull you into this experience and let you digest the concepts that we're working with. Well, the and few scenes of violence are also
2: just incredibly bizarre. You've got the uh, the trash can breaking the mirror scene where she gets cut and blood is licked from her hand, and that's just very sudden, and it's not even so much shocking. It's a bit provocative and, and like, and Argento. Sexual. Yeah, and like uh, uh, Argento display. is very sexual in his violence as well. Ka-ching, yeah, exactly. That's, you know, and again, as I was making the euphemism of how Constantly, there's just this projection of knives are being stabbed or entrance, uh, this this dominant entrance, this penetration with Daria Argento. You've got that atrocious knife scene with Keanu Reeves where he's pushing the knife into Elle Fanning's mouth. And then they made reference to a 13-year-old girl being in the building where obviously he's raping and hurting somebody next door. And that scene is a... Uh, I don't know. It kind of reminds me toward the end of Suspiria where everyone else is dying and Jessica is, is fighting to try and find Mother Marcos and figure out what's going on. that she calls Ruby to get her out of there, but no one calls the police or thinks to call for help that they allow, you know, the chain of life, the circle of life or whatever predator to catch the prey. The lion is out catching a gazelle because they're now in safety and she's done essentially the same thing. He spared her went on to rape somebody else, and she falls into the arms of death, essentially. Which, again, the end of Suspiria, she channels, you know, this this death, what, the remake, the 2018, she channels this, like, death entity to blow everyone's heads up or whatever, and then help the three pass calmly and uh, obtains this power. There's similarities between all of these. They're all fluent movies, if you take the time to kind of appreciate it. And it's something that could be really fun. You know, just, you know, you listen to us, you take our perspective, but if you haven't seen the Suspiria remake you know everything about it now and it's it's something to sit down and watch you know compare it don't even go back and watch it with Suspiria. watch it with neon demon and see how that tastes and uh you know just look at these different concepts and allow yourself to just consider the perspective before you attack us or you know you guys are gatekeepers you're just bitching because I've, i think we've been Pretty fair,
1: allowing it to. I be- like the fucking movie for Christ's sake. Yeah,
0: we've I'm not just said- trying to
1: draw a comparison between Neon Demon's Asperia and that the remake doesn't have the same things that I Neon Demon's. Been- I think it's just more of a remake than the actual
2: remake. I mean, I've been more, uh, I think, rough on it than you have, because really, I don't think it was. It's nicely shot, but I don't think it's exceptional. I don't think it's anything to write home about. It looks like, it just fucking looks like a movie. It looks like, it looks like a music video. It looks like a really long Nine Inch Nails music video to me. And that's fine. It's the style and I'm no one to judge outside of being a fucking movie critic. But it just didn't hit me. I don't think, it, it looks whatever. I don't think the director is a talentless sack of shit. By no means I'm calling him out or saying something. It just, was an average movie. The uh, Tilda Swinton is fantastic in everything. Tilda Swinton could do a Wheaties commercial, and it's going to be fantastic. It's that's who she is. She just oozes fucking being fantastic, and I have no problem with any of that. It just meh, didn't hit me, and that happens. Not every big thing out there. I mean, it's it's a glory that we both liked Midsummer, but sometimes things are just a hit or a miss, and I think massively on a wide spectrum, Suspiria just was. It just shouldn't have been called Suspiria. It shouldn't have been released the way it was. It should have been handled differently. And I think the director acknowledges that. Though I think he feels it's an homage and it's a different piece. And he probably would have called it something different if he could have. But because I don't think Dario
1: is really receptive on it. I, I don't. I've not he read a lot a about fan. that. He said, "Where was the music?" And he's correct. Where is the fucking music? Where is the intrigue? Oh.
2: Well, you could have even done some like David Lynch ethereal whooshing shit, or you know, given me some sort of tone outside of music, and you left me with nothing. And that just really is. Just the name itself, Dario Argento, Suspiria, everything. I expect even his modern stuff has some sort of Korg Casio beat to it. It's not Goblin, but still,
1: it's it is what it is. I mean, a trademark. What is Suspiria at the end of the day? It's a fucking hybrid Jalo film. What's Neon Demon at the end of the day? Pretty much a Jalo film for the most part. I mean, it's shot like a Jalo, and it feels like a Jalo film. What does the remake feel like?
2: I wouldn't say that Neon Demons is giallo. I would say it's straight-up drive-in, 42nd Street, exploitation, psychotronic, sleaze, dressed up. Yeah, it feels up. more like a giallo to me. It, it just doesn't have that—I don't know. And it, I guess this is just my feeling on giallo, but I tend to get toward the middle of every giallo I've watched. I just kind of space out and get a little bit bored as that very deep detective story and the general romance plot tends to filter in. And Neon Demon's romantic aspects— toward the middle were more alluring and so shocking and again bringing in sort of a mystical ritualistic magic sense with the necrophilia romance scene which i gotta say i have no necrophilia fetish corpse fucking isn't my bag but wow what the weirdest boner i've ever had that it's kind of sexy yeah jenna malone is a very very beautiful actress but that scene itself is that's ballet? That is, you know, just wonderful uh, architecture of a scene and the composition with Elle Fanning fondling herself and feeling emotion at the same time back at the house. Those two scenes, still like the uh, the all white cattle scene that we discussed earlier. That has more of a Dario Argento feel and sharpness than even the violence that like in the beginning of Suspiria, when the werewolf hands appear, you get this very vibrant stabbing over and over and over again. And as Ruby's having sex with the corpse and masturbating and Elle Fanning's masturbating, you have that feeling of just vibrant penetration, literally, and just that same it's it's orgasmic. What. He was Sexiness trying to.
1: of violence, basically. Well,
2: it's the release. I mean, you have Argento stabbing someone, and blood starts flowing with the penetration. It's essentially coming. It's his perversion. And that's what makes Argento what it is, is that he's greasy. He's he's a, a beautifully lit pervert. Like fucking R. Crumb drawing big tittied 14 year olds. Uh, he goes and stabs people, and blood gushes out. It's a big cum shot to him.
1: Yeah, I mean, you need a little perversion <laughs> in with your horror film, and it just, I, I didn't get much perversion. I needed more perversion, more than anything. At the
2: bottom, you know, line, that is somewhat essential to horror is perversion. Even Psycho, even Hitchcock had perversion. Even classy guys have perversion, and that's just essential to storytelling sometimes, and horror is a very rich genre cult Itself, It's a cult, really. I mean, it has its own magic, and it's got so many different layers. You can't say what is or what isn't a horror movie, but at the same time, there are some rules, there are some things to the magic that matters that you have to take into consideration. And especially with remakes, I mean, if you're going to remake something, like Argento said, you either do it the exact same way, which is a copy and pretty pointless, or you make your own movie, which you could
1: have just done in the first place. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums up the entire thing.
2: So uh, I guess check it out, *Suspiria* 2018, if you want to. This was the only way I think I would ever have seen it. If it wasn't for your idea, I could have gone another ten years. And uh, I just saw *Black Swan*. It's worth a
1: watch. I just uh, personally, there are people out there like you know, film nerds that I trust their opinion on that we're saying that, like, the Suspiria remake is better than the first one, and everything seems to really revolve around more attention to plot, um, like, plot details and explaining what's going on, and, like, oh, it's and they include dance more. And if you're trying to tell me that a remake of Suspiria is better Because it has better plot details And you don't understand what makes Suspiria great To begin with The yeah, plot s- is almost incidental in Suspiria It doesn't matter what the fuck is going on You significantly missed a piece of the magic If that's your
2: your big concern It's funny, though, that, you know, I saw the Suspiria remake and I've seen Black Swan, which I remember you seeing that in theaters texting me. Hey, I'm seeing Black Swan. And that was probably the end of the conversation there. And again, I have nothing against it. I have nothing against Darren Afro, man. I read the synopsis of the movie. I watched a trailer and went, huh, doesn't look like absolutely anything I uh, really care about. So I'll get to it one day. And it's been since, what, 2015 or so. I've finally seen it. 2011. 2011. Yeah, even longer. Uh, and it's just, I'm very shallow. There are certain things that I want to see, Neon Demon being one of them. It, it, I, I admittedly am not a Giant Winding and fan. I think he's great for what he is, but Neon Demon, it speaks to me. I love what it conveys, and I love how it looks, and at the end of the day, beauty, it's what matters. I mean, if something's pretty, you're going to notice it, and that's just how the world works. Pretty Hell things. Was.
1: And to answer your question, I'm food. I'm a quarter pounder with cheese. Wow. A lot of cheese? I think you got a lot of cheese.
2: Just a slice. It's too bad you don't have a vegan option. I'd swing. I'd go that way. <laughs> so I guess the bottle's empty. The ashtray is overwhelmingly full. We managed to... I think this was fairly articulate. I think this is all right. I think we made a point. At least I made a point because I'm super smart. Yeah, uh, I still don't have gold teeth yet, so all the words (laughs) I speak aren't gold. Next week's episode, we are going to do how the house that Jack built is actually a remake of Biodome.
1: It's going to be a fun one. You know, when Polly killed those plants in the Biodome, it was a lot like when he shot those kids and made their brains blow up.
0: Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Death by DVD has reached the end of its weekly broadcast. From the cast and crew at Death by DVD, we wish you a pleasant tomorrow. Death by DVD is recorded from on top of the Blue Crystal Sunshine Mountain, in any town, USA, with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building.